Hey everyone, this is part two of the mystery of the garden. We're going to talk about the original sin and what really happened, looking at all the different uh, aspects of it, the garden, the trees, the serpent, all these different mysterious aspects that we find at the beginning in the book of Genesis, and we're going to reveal this according to the scriptures. Thanks for listening in. Remember to subscribe to us on YouTube. Click the little bell to get notified. Greetings. Thank you for tuning in to listen to Equipping the Bride podcast. I'm Brother Jason DeMars from Beaufort, South Carolina, a minister at Bethel Tabernacle. New episodes of this podcast are posted every Friday. You can watch this podcast on YouTube and listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. May the Lord richly bless you. We're going to start off Genesis 3, verse 1. If you haven't listened to part 1, Go back and listen to part one before you get to this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So that's verse one. Now the serpent is translated from the word nachash in Hebrew. And it's translated in the Old Testament in the following ways. A snake, a crocodile, a hippopotamus, fornication, a chain, a pair of fetters, a piece of brass, a piece of steel, and a conjurer. The word has a very broad meaning and is translated based on its context, if you can't tell like that. In one place, we're speaking of a piece of steel Another place, we're speaking of a uh, uh, conjurer. And another place, we're speaking of some kind of animal. So, we have to look at the context and understand what a nachash is. The King James translator took this word and and, uh, any English translation. Nachash and wrote down serpent. But we have to examine the context in order to determine what a nachash is. So look at let's look at this. Um, this is from Adam Clark's uh, uh, commentary on the Bible. He says, nachash, and according to Buxdorf and others, has three meanings in scriptures. It signifies to view or observe attentively, to divine or use enchantments because in them the augurs viewed attentively the flight of birds, the entrails of beasts, the course of the clouds, and under this head it signifies to acquire knowledge by experience. It signifies, second, it signifies brass, brazen, and is translated in our Bible not only brass, but chains, fetters, fetters of brass, and in several places steel. If you look at 2 Samuel 22, 35, Job 20, 24, Isaiah 18, 34, and in one place, 
at least filthiness of fornication. Ezekiel 16, 36. It, in 3, it signifies a serpent, but of what kind is not determined. In Job 26, 13, it seems to mean the whale or hippopotamus. By his spirit he has garnished the heavens, his hand has formed the crooked serpent. Nakash Bariak, as Barak signifies to pass on or pass through. Bariak is used for a bar of a gate or a door that passed through, th- through rings. The idea of straightness rather than crookedness should be attached to it here, and it's likely that the hippopotamus or seahorse is intended by it. In Ecclesiastes 10.11, the creature called Nachash, of whatever sort, is compared to the babbler. Surely the Nachash will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. All right, so as we're reading this, of course, I know it's very scholarly, but I want you to understand the point behind this as we're going forward. It is not so clear in Genesis 3, verse 1, that we're talking about a snake. In Isaiah 27, 1, the crocodile or alligator seems particularly meant by the original. In that day, the Lord shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent. Isaiah 65, 25 says, the same creature is meant as in Genesis 3, 1. For in the words, in dust shall be the serpent's meat, there is an evident allusion to the text of Moses. In Amos 9, 3, the crocodile is evidently intended. Though they be hid in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. No person can suppose that any of the snakes or serpent kind can be intended here. And we see from the various acceptations of the word and the different senses which it bears in various places in the sacred writings that appears to be a sort of general term confined to no one sense. Hence, it will be necessary to examine the root accurately to see if its ideal meaning will enable us to ascertain the animal intended in the text. Excuse me. So, we look at Genesis 3.1, and we can look at the word serpent, and we can say, we don't know exactly what this is referring to. So this is what Adam Clark says, that whatever this Nakash was, he stood at the head of all inferior animals for wisdom and understanding. That he walked erect, for this is necessarily implied in his punishment, on thy belly, on all fours, or else on all fours shalt thou go. That he was endued with the gift of speech, for a conversation is here related between him and the woman. That he was also endued with the gift of reason, for we find him reasoning and disputing with Eve. Five, that these things were common to this creature, the woman no doubt having often seen him walk erect, talk, and reason, and therefore she testifies no kind of surprise when he accosts her in the language related in the text. And indeed, from the manner in which this is introduced, it appears to be only a part of a conversation that had passed between them on the occasion. Yea, hath God said. Had this creature never been known to speak before his addressing the woman at this time and on this subject, it could not have failed to excite her surprise and to have filled her with caution 
though from the purity and innocence of her nature she might have been incapable of being affected with fear. Now I apprehend that none of these things can be spoken of a serpent of any species. All these things considered, we are obliged to seek for some other word to designate the nachash in the text than the word serpent, which on every view of the subject appears to be inefficient and inapplicable. We have seen above that hanas, achnas, and hanus signify a creature of the ape or satirist kind. We have seen that the meaning of the root is, he lay hid, seduced, slunk away, etc. And then hanas means the devil and inspi- as the inspirer of evil and seducer from God and truth. It therefore appears to me that a creature of the ape or oran, oranutang, orangutang kind is here intended, and that Satan made use of this creature as the most proper instrument for the accomplishment of his murderous purposes against the life and soul of man. Under this creature he lay hid, and by this creature he seduced our first parents and drew off or slunk away from every eye but the eye of God. Such a creature answers to every part of this description in the text. It is evident from the structure of its limbs and their muscles that it might have been originally designed to walk erect or upright, and that nothing less than a sovereign controlling power could induce them to put down hands in every respect formed like those of man and walk like those creatures whose claw arm paws prove them to have designed to walk on all fours. So Adam Clark believes that this was an ape-like creature and that it was cursed to walk on all fours and be more of an animal. Now, I don't believe that that's the case, but in the context of what Adam Clark is talking about, you see that he is speaking of precurse. He walked upright. He looked like man, and he was close in genus to the ape. So you could almost say he's like a missing link between man and animal, though missing link is a terminology of um, of evolution. Brother Branham says that this this serpent, this Nachash creature, is in every way like man, except for he is does not have a soul. He is not made in the image and likeness of God. So let's continue reading. So the serpent says, As God said, you shall not eat every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. So there's two trees in the midst of the garden, and they're not to eat it or touch it. So remember what we said and what we've reviewed from Scripture, from the Song of Solomon, And Proverbs, the adulterous woman eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. All right. And we found that the Bible says, I've got a song of Solomon says, I've come into my garden, my spouse to eat of its pleasant fruits. So he's in the midst of the garden, not literal trees. They can eat the literal trees, no problem, but 
the words that 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 they cannot the what they cannot eat is in the midst of the garden. Uh, verse four, and the serpent said unto the woman, "You shall not surely die." For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So Satan is telling him that what God said was false. Satan, through the instrumentality of this upright, talking and reasoning animal, deceived Eve. The word there for gods is Adam and Eve will be gods. You'll, You'll be like Elohim. You and Adam will be like Elohim. You will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. When you partake of this act, you'll become like the Creator Himself. They already were. They were made in His image and likeness. They could get no more like Elohim than they already were. Satan offered them something that they already possessed, but he gave it in a twist, which they... they felt that they didn't have. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So have you ever heard of a fruit that can make you wise? Well, could there be a hidden meeting here? If, if this is a literal fruit, then examine the process. She picks the fruit, bites the fruit, chews the fruit, swallows the fruit, and digests this fruit. So keep this in the mind, in your mind as we read the next verse. The serpent uses his mouth, his words, to deceive Eve. Eve uses her mouth to eat the fruit. She gives it to Adam. He uses his mouth to eat it. Then the th- next thing you know, what are they doing? And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Does it make sense what they did? Why didn't they wipe or cover their mouth? Instead, they covered their genitalia. Immediately after sinning, they said, We are naked. Let's cover ourselves. Here again, God through Moses connects eating of the tree of the knowledge with recognition of being naked and covering their naked uh, uh, genitals. Does this at any point in time bring them to the place they realize, oh, we eat fruit, oh, we're naked. Now, let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. So they they, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So here the presence of God comes like like God normally does in the cool of the evening. And instead of running to meet him, they run to hide from him. And the Lord God called unto Adam, listen, God seeks man. Man does not seek God. Man runs from God. 
God seeks man. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So here again, does God literally not know where God uh, Adam is? No. He seeks after God and then calls to Adam to elicit a response from Adam. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So they covered themselves with fig leaves, but when the presence of the Lord, they made loincloths to cover themselves. But when the presence of the Lord came, they realized this is insufficient. I am still naked. And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Shifting blame from himself to actually God, the woman you gave me. So it's the woman's fault and your fault, God. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Shifting blame again. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? Okay, I read that. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, that's where I was supposed to read, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. So before he was the most subtle, the wisest of all creatures of the field. Uh, he could speak. He walked on two, two feet. He could reason. Now God says, you are cursed above all cattle. So now he's lowering him to be the lowest above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. So, And between thy seed, the word seed means offspring, and thy offspring and her offspring. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy heel. So the serpent has offspring, and his offspring will have enmity against uh, the woman's offspring. And then there's a prophecy, the prophecy, first prophecy of the Messiah. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So the serpent's seed bruises the heel of the, the woman's seed. Who is the woman's seed? Well, there's enmity between the two seeds, and we see right away in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. There's that enmity, but ultimately it testifies of what? The Messiah and the Jewish people. Strange, huh? The Messiah and the Jewish people. So the serpent seed is people that crucified the Lord Jesus. It wasn't literal snakes. It wasn't literal snakes that killed Jesus, though Jesus and John the Baptist called them a generation of vipers. But they were humans, part of the human race. That's the seed of the serpent. Destroy, seeking to destroy the seed of the woman. But the, 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 the heel is bruised. He's crucified. But through that crucifixion, Christ destroys the work of the seed of the serpent. So when we're talking about serpent seed, we're talking about a seed injected into the human race. 
what happened was the this upright walking creature through these words seduced Eve, had sex with her, produced a seed the same day she went to her Adam. Adam knew what he was doing. He took her sin upon himself to save her as the antitype. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. And he and he impregnated her, so she became pregnant with twins. This is not impossible. It's called heteropaternal superfecundation. Two two fathers, one mother producing twins from two different sperm. And that is what happened between Cain and Abel. Cain is the seed of the serpent. Abel was the seed of the woman, of Adam and Eve. Now, let's read verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Huh? She ate a fruit, and he's multiplying her conception. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. She sinned by sex. So God curses the reproduction process. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Her desire went away from her husband to the serpent. So what did God do? God said your desire will be towards your husband, and he will rule over you. As a result of the curse, you have this harsh leadership of man. Jesus comes to re reverse the curse. The woman is no longer to be under that. She's to be under a, a leadership of love. So here is her, the woman's curse. After she eats of this fruit, your sorrow will be multiplied in conception. She'll have a period. It will be painful and frustrating. It will, it will be increased to be once a month, every 28 days, roughly. And when you have conception and give birth, it will be painful. And your husband, your desire will be to your husband. And he'll rule over you. So her, her, her punishment is commensurate to her crime. And unto Adam, he said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, thy wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So, there's a lot to get into right here, and I'm not sure I can do it in this quickly por uh, portion, but let's look at this original sin. Remember, there was a time appointed for Adam and Eve to come together, the time of life appointed and they would produce a child after the tree of life. Eve didn't wait. They violated the time appointed. Both Adam and Eve violated this. She violated it with the serpent and violated it with her husband. And the spoken word is the original seed. Brother Branham says God promised to multiply them, but they had to wait until God's time. And again, same sermon, Adam's bride could not wait. God had told Adam and Eve, multiply and replenish the earth. It was an oncoming promise, oncoming thing, a promise. She was not his wife as yet because he had never lived with her. See, 
they were promised that potentially, but they had to li- come together and be joined together and consummate their marriage. Eve didn't wait for the time appointed. First Timothy, I've referred to this, I believe, before, but I want to read it now. First Timothy 2.14 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. See? So this is from the rising of the sun. Brother Branham says, See, to save his wife, like Adam, he had to go with her. Adam knowed what he was doing. Eve didn't know what she was doing, but Adam walked out with his wife. See? And Jesus took his wife's place and became sin for her. All right. Now, in another place, Brother Branham says something very mysterious. He says, Eve was designed by Satan. All right? Let's explain this further. Not not created by Satan, but designed, uh, formed, misshapen, deformed, perverted by Satan. God created Eve, and she, along with Adam, were made in the image and likeness of God. Together, Adam and Eve were the image and likeness of God. But Satan began working on Eve through the serpent because she was the weak point that he could use to bring mankind under control in this marriage and divorce. Notice the reason that animals couldn't do it, a female animal, they were in the original creation, but the woman was not in the original creation. Now, we're going to back to dig this up, then bring you right down to the modern day in the Testament. She is designed alone, remember, perverted by Satan, for filth and unclean living. A dog can't and no other female can. It's just the woman that can, a dog or any other animals, once a year, and that for her babies. Not for sexual pleasure, but for her babies. The old sow hog, the old slut dog, once a year, one moment, that's for her babies. But a woman is designed for any time she desires. I've got some stuff crossed out here. Now you can imagine the rest. A dog can, woman can, a dog can't. Woman can. I hope that the Holy Spirit reveals to you the rest of this I crossed out here. Now, in an article from the BBC website, it states, Humans can copulate any time during the reproductive cycle, unlike many other mammals that copulate right around ovulation. This is precisely what Brother Branham said. Now, now, bringing this together, the, the Adam and Eve were to come together according to the time of time appointed by God. When, when just as the animals had a time appointed every so often, same thing was appointed by God. Adam and Eve were to come together and produce children of the tree of life. They were to eat of the tree of life and produce children with eternal life. And those children would be spoken word children. Okay? But Adam and Eve bypassed that. Adam took his wife's sin upon her and passed sin down to the whole human race. They did not wait till that appointed time. And so Eve was perverted by Satan to do what they did and produced children. And God says, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Her conceptions were multiplied. How were conceptions multiplied? Every 28 days she could produce 
seed she produced an egg went through her period right so that was god's curse greatly multiplying that right well what about adam's sin and this is the part we'll finish with adam's sin let's look at deuteronomy chapter 24 When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it in her hand, and send it out. Send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and gives it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, if the latter husband die, which took her to be wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for that is an abomination for the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy giveth God giveth thee for an inheritance. Isn't it strange? God cursed the, la- the earth, the entire creation, the entire universe, because of Adam's sin, taking his wife back to himself after she lived with another man. All right. So Adam took her back to himself. That sin was upon him. And God curses the land. Now here in Deuteronomy 24, the man takes back his first wife after she's defiled. He says, you don't cause the land to sin. So isn't that interesting, that connection? What man has dominion over, God curses because that is that was his responsibility. Adam's responsibility was have to have dominion over everything. He lost that dominion. Satan, through the serpent, injected his life into the human race. Adam lost his dominion. So this is what Brother Branham speaks of in the Church Ages book, I will read that, and then we'll close this episode. Now I know in answering one question, and another one is apt to come up with people. Ask me if Eve failed that, fell that way. What did Adam do? For God always lays blame on Adam. That is simple. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. Before one speck of stardust was made, that word, God's law, was there exactly as it is written in our Bible. Now the word teaches us that if a woman leaves her husband and goes with another man, she's an adulteress and is no longer married, and the husband is not to take her back. That word was true in Eden as it was true when Moses wrote it in the law. The word can't change. Adam took her back. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he did it anyways. She was part of him. He was willing to take her responsibility upon himself. He would not let her go. So Eve conceived by him. He knew she would. He knew exactly what would happen to the human race. And he sold the human race into sin that he might have Eve, for he loved her. All right, I will finish there. So if you have any questions, prayer requests, or testimonies, let me know. Remember, subscribe and hit like on YouTube if you're listening to this audio podcast on whatever service you're using, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google. Please make sure to subscribe so that you get alerted. Spread the word about this podcast. We thank you so much. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you for listening to Equipping the Bride podcast. 
New episodes are posted every Friday. I want to remind you that if you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. Please, I ask you to remember the believers and the mission's work in the Middle East in prayer. May the Lord richly bless you.